Welcome to the University of Texas Press Podcast. We are here today with Grammy-winning musician and photographer Andy Summers. Andy is most notably the guitarist for the legendary band The Police. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with The Police in 2003, and he was awarded the Chevalier Order of the Arts and Letters with The Police in 2007. Andy has also exhibited his photography around the world. His collaboration with photography historian and critic Gilles Mora, titled Andy Summers, A Certain Strangeness, publishes February 2019. Andy is joining us from his home studios in Los Angeles. Good afternoon, Andy, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi there. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. So, Andy, this volume of your work was originally published in France by Edition Hazan with Gilles Mora. How does it feel to have the book out in English? I'm happy to have anything out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is the first time uh, on that note that I've had anything other than English. So, oh, well, I say that. Wait a minute. No, I've had other books published in many languages. Uh, my autobiography came out in Spain, France, Brazil, right, right, England, U.S. No, it's been no. So I, I, I've been reinterpreted in other languages before. But this is the first time, um, certainly, to do uh, a, you know a photography book that began in France. But that's because of the uh, Montpellier uh, exhibition, which starts in February, and. Uh, I was, you know, very thrilled to, you know, go and meet uh, the publishers in Paris at Hazan, and uh, I think they did a great job on the on the book. I was really pleased because uh, normally, like most artists, I'm extremely uh, protective of my efforts, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't like anybody to get anywhere near them other mm-hmm. than me. And this one, um, you know, was you know curated along with Gilles Morat, who came to my studio in Los Angeles, and I was very prepared uh, to meet with him. You know, in, uh, he came to, you know, pick the photographs, curate the photographs for this big exhibition in Montpellier, right. thus the book. Uh, but it sort of went out of my hands from there on to Hazan, which is the way uh, they do these things, and Jill's done this several times. Of course, he's spent a lifetime right. in photography, so right. I was in very good hands, yeah. And, you know, like, you know, we got on extremely well, and uh, he's a person of intellect and great fun and extremely knowledgeable about photography. And uh, so, but I found it kind of breathtaking that my work went off to somebody <laughs> else who was going to lay it out. Um, wow. Uh, you know, I'm always so hands-on. But, um, you know, I was actually delighted when I got to the office in Paris and, uh, you know, met the layout artist who had, uh, you know, I thought, you know, laid it out pretty much exactly the way I would have done it. He made all the right uh, visual hookups between the pages. And, you know, he was a very sweet, very sensitive guy. And, um, you know, they're all terrific. I, I was, uh, you know, I have to say I was delighted by it. Not not like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. It wasn't, it wasn't like that at all. So I'm actually very pleased with this book. Yeah, it's beautiful. And and you have an essay in, in the book uh, speaking about yeah. just your, your history with photography. Do you want to talk a little bit about... Exactly. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, all these things, you know, there's a lot of love in this project. Yeah. And, um, no, I like to write. I have very various writing projects as well uh, as the photography. Um, but, you know, it gave me a great um, opportunity, I'd say, to to 
really think about, um, you know, my involvement with photography and how I got started with it, really. And, you know, the early days of photography, for me, which were on the road with the police and how intense it became. And mm-hmm. to, to really explore that, not as, you know, to, to explore it as a piece of writing, you know, like a serious essay on about everything that I went through and my sort of, you know, the formation of, you know, photographic pursuits in my mind and my take on it and how you developed with it. And so it was a great, great, great moment for me to be able to sit. It took me a long time to put the whole thing together, you know, uh, yeah. like as one always does with real writing. It's always revision, revision, revision. And uh, But everybody seemed to be happy about it. So I think it's my best accounting of my um, time with photography yet. Yeah. yeah, I love the way that you talk about um... – I mean, you talk about the the photographs in the book being kind of autobiographical in a sense, right? So you you were a part of the police and and you know sort of their their rise and and yeah and and huge North American tours um, all mm-hmm. over the world as well. Um, yeah. But I love how you talk about it being like a, a an intimate diary that you reconfigured and and turned into sort of a new visual syntax. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think in the essay, um, you know, I particularly focus on the U.S. because, you know, there's many reasons. I mean, it's many layered because, you know, uh, certainly in my generation, oh, I think it's probably true. You know, I grew up, of course, in England mm-hmm. and I'm English. Um, and we were all, as musicians, so influenced by American music. I mean, you know, basically it all comes from the from the U.S., as a matter of if you're in the police or the Beatles or whoever you are, you know, basically all the inspiration came from the U.S. And the big thrilling thing, at least it was in those days, was to, to tour in America, right. um, you know, in the U.S. and crisscross the U.S. and go to all these um, legendary places that, uh, you know, we'd heard about in songs, of course, you know, um, you name it. There's probably a song about it. Um <laughs> So, of course, it's thrilling. So you've got this visceral thrill of going, oh, my God, we're arriving in Memphis or St. Louis or New Orleans or New York, wherever. And, uh, you know, and then getting out of the big cities like New York and L.A. and San Francisco and, you know, really crisscrossing the country into some of the more um, suburban yeah. places, I suppose, is really exciting. You know, a thrill to go to Texas. <laughs> wow. Tumbleweeds you know, everywhere, was, cowboys everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, all this was exciting. And, uh, you know, of course... It was right about this time I started to take photographs, you know, with just huge enthusiasm that just kind of burst out of nowhere. Well, I say that, of course, that it wasn't really true. There's, uh, and I note this in the essay, there were a lot of uh, seeds were sown, I think, when I was much younger uh, about photography. Right. Uh, you know, an incipient interest. It was in me, you know, so um, I think that's why I just sort of took to it so so quickly and felt very natural for me. But, uh, of course, at the beginning, like anybody, you have the sort of rush of enthusiasm and sort of technical mistakes and stuff like that, like anybody does. You learn, you know, learning the camera, just like learning the guitar. You know, there's technique involved and knowledge and experience and, you know, getting new information into your head, visual information. Um, hopefully you have some sort of aesthetic ideas in your mind that, you know, will make the photographs better than someone else's, let's say. But... Of course, I was going through 
an enormous uh, life experience that, right. in a way, became a vessel for photography. I mean, I'm not saying it's the reason I joined the place today, but <laughs> <laughs> towards the end of that whole uh, period, I think um, it, it became more serious. You know, I was just like shooting away like a madman at the beginning, just having a great time with it as a sort of hobby. But not no, hobby's the wrong word because it was, I, it was much more. I was more serious now. It's, it's right. more of a passion. Yeah, I, I don't like that. I've never liked the word hobby because it just sort of means you do something not very well um, to me, anyway. So, um, of course, I had incredible uh, visual surroundings of all the you know shenanigans and goings on and life on the road with what became a very famous rock band. And, you know, I realized halfway into it, I was probably actually making a document. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that at the beginning, but later on I I started to shoot even more because I realized that maybe I'm getting something here that no one else can possibly get except me. And so it was a vivid period for all the reasons we know, and I pretty much shot everything I could. And then I put it all away. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, none of it's any good. And I put it all away. I kept it all. And right. it was all sort of uh, cataloged, which, thank God, mm. and everything was organized. But I, I did put it all away. And it was another photographer eventually that pulled it all out and said, oh, my God, this is incredible. I can't believe you've got all this stuff. And you're talking, are and you it, talking it, about Ralph Gibson, right? Are you, no, 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 it wasn't okay. actually Ralph. No. Uh, no, Ralph was very important. Right. Uh, we can talk about Ralph for a second another subject but no it was a it was a, a rock photographer that had been on the road with us in london called jill fermanowski all right yes who i was good friends with and who has her own whole career she's a famous photographer um and she actually came to los angeles uh, and um wanted to look at stuff and initially we, i was going to do it with her until i realized you know i think we were going to try and do something i hadn't quite fired up let's say at that point um um, we were going to do some sort of book together about the police. And then, you know, as I sort of started to kind of wake up to it all, I realized that I had everything and it was really autonomous. And I needed to do it on my own. And then I, I sort of went from there. And it was, you know, a story like it always is. I was originally going to do the book with, uh, well, one of the books. I've made several books. Um, the police book mm-hmm. um, with a company called Gemini in England who were great, and we were going to do a big, fancy book. But, I mean, well, anyway, and I spent two years putting it together with a guy in London, a uh, layout artist, and, uh, you know, backwards and forwards between L.A. and L.A. and London so many times. Um, anyway, bit of a tragic story. The the owner of the book company, a wonderful guy named Brian Roylands, actually died. Oh, no. Uh, had a heart attack while we were... Um, just about as the book was finished, and... Um, uh, you know, it's very frustrating for me. I'd put all this work mm. in, and of course it was terrible about Brian, but, you know, the, the company just sort of ceased to right. exist at that point, and I had this incredible maquette, you know, all the work mm. done, and I was sort of sitting with this baby, you know. And, um, you know, eventually I got it to Tashin, and uh, it was actually, again, here he enters, it was Ralph Gibson who... Mm-hmm. I was talking on the phone with him about it. So I can't believe I've got this. <laughs> where to put it? He said, "Why don't you call up Benedict? He's in L.A. And he said, here's his number. Give him. I'll call him first.' And I, I mean, it's just sort of amazing to me. 
I called him 20 minutes later and Benedict said, why don't you come right over right now? No way. Bring, bring it with yeah. you. And I did. Right. Went over to Mulholland Drive where he was living and uh, showed him and he said, five minutes, he looked at I said, okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. And I went, oh my God. And that was it. And so that's when I got the that project going. But of course, be- previous to that, I'd had Throb out in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But the Tashin was sort of like Throb on steroids. It was um, a much bigger book and they did... The, big collector's edition and, uh, you know, wonderful printing. They were absolutely wonderful to work with, uh, very easy, and, and they did a great job on it. And um, that book, which is called um, I'll Be Watching You, yeah, came out as the police reunion tour happened. Right, around 2007 or 2008 or something, yeah. 2007, 2008, and yeah. it wasn't planned at all. It was just like, my God, you know, the the universe has, has come together on this one. You know, it was brilliant. So, uh, yeah, you know, that pretty much wrapped that whole thing for me, you know. Yeah, how it all came together. So um, do you want to talk a little bit just to go back about um, your influences? Do you want to start there talking well, about? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, okay, there's a lot to this because, you know, when you go, well, where did it come from? Why did mm-hmm. you suddenly get this whole other thing in your life about photography and I mean I'm, I do mention in the essay that you know where uh, there's two places and, I, and the second one I realized later when I wrote a, yet another thing for the um, show in uh, Montpellier where we want to do something different I mean initially I, I have always thought that it was all, seeing all those amazing European films of mm. the period uh, you know Truffaut, Fellini, Bergman Antonioni Etc. All pretty much all in black and white that impressed me so deeply. And I think as a teenager, you know, sort of for the first thing outside of you know living with a guitar all the mm-hmm. time and just really trying to be a guitar player and a musician, uh, you know, there was some sort of instinct about what you might call art. And it was in these films that I was seeing over and over. And it was a sort of very uh, much uh, enlargement of a teenagers world view and that there are other things in life and uh i found it incredibly inspiring at that age and that's what i wanted to do you know be a film director (laughs) (laughs) like we all do at at 17 but of course i had no idea how one ever gets to anything like that and i was so involved with playing music which is probably my most natural talent anyway uh but it hit me in a really deep way and, it, you know, of course, I, I was a total movie buff and avid movie watcher ever since, you know, all my life. And another little thing I did sort of come up with recently was um, in the essay, another essay I wrote from Montpellier was that um, when I was growing up, my parents always had these suitcases full of photographs mm-hmm. of their entire history and uh, ancestors, mm-hmm. all little English black and white curly edged mm. photographs that I spent many hours looking at and always went back to. And I think these were sort of a feature of my childhood, always looking at these black and white photographs. So I think it was another thing that um, penetrated in, yeah. a, in a, an early age that these things were there for me in a way. And then, you know, later on in life, you know, when I joined the band and everything, and this emerged. But it didn't emerge from nowhere that, you know, the, the, some of this had already been set inside my head, I think. Yeah. 
Well, I love what you write about with the, you know, Ingmar Bergman's seventh seal, mm. the imagery mm. and the surrealism that really connected mm. you to, you know, Freud and Jung and, and some themes and broader uh, uh, questions and and um, sort of philosophies that you probe at with, with your music and your photography. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how the yeah. music ties into the photography a little bit? You know, you're a teenage person and you're starting to wake up to the world and all the rest of it. And, you know, music, of course, was my sort of first point of contact with anything artistic. Um, and then, you know, I'd like to think that if you're into music, then you've probably got a curious mind and one thing leads to another. And yeah, you, you get into everything, yeah. you know, it's uh, a wide variety of subjects. And I think, you know, like a, maybe your central thing is you're a musician or you're, you know, maybe you're a filmmaker, but if you're a filmmaker, maybe you're influenced by music hugely or whatever, all these things, you know, the media cross from one to another and it's, it's information. And I think one set of information informs another set. So, which of course ties into, uh, you know, music and photography and, and how these things can relate, you know. Um, I think it's great to go into photography with a head full of music, mm-hmm. you know, that's informed by listening to Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane, Bach, Beethoven, whatever, you name it, avant-garde, that you've got all these um, takes on what makes an aesthetic. And I think that's so important. You know, if you're going to be, a, you want to be a great guitar player, what, and you're only ever going to listen to guitar music in a certain genre, I think it will really limit you. Yeah. I think it's really important to, you know, get a rich variety of uh, information into your head. And why wouldn't you, um, as a person, want to be kind of cerebral and intellectual things in your head and these beautiful expressions of life through art? Well, I love what you write, like how would Thelonious Monk take a photograph or how do you make music with a camera? And you're talking yeah. basically about applying jazz improvisation to photography yeah. and capturing moments that speak musically or have a, a, a sort of a, a visual identity, like you were saying. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, continuing on this line of thought, uh, I mean, of course, I was 15, 16, practicing like 10 hours a day <laughs> just mad for the the guitar and, and of course big influence on me at that age was not pop music which of course is much more simple mm-hmm. but because you know i was curious and harmonically curious mm-hmm. you know my ear went to jazz and listening to jazz guitar is most all american really and right. um how the hell do they play those complicated lines yeah. and how do they make them work over these harmonies, these chord sequences, you know, I mean, this was raw, I was a raw English teenager trying to pick up on this sophisticated American jazz. But, you know, I studied it, I'd listened, and a lot of it was done by osmosis. I would sit and play my 33 and a third records Mm -hmm. at 16 and try and learn these complicated (laughs) solos. (laughs) But, you know, i taken it all in by ear, but it's a fantastic way to learn because you really get it into your body and into your soul, I think, in a way that you'll never get any other way. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking about hundreds of hours of listening to these things at, at slow speed and then picking them up to normal speed and trying to play them. This is how I learned. And I think my own self-teaching that way was um, probably the deepest, in a way, more than anything I was taught by anybody else, uh, you know, 
studying books by Harmony and all that later on, but of course of which I did. Eventually went to school in California and taught music in a classical sense. But, um, you know, so, you know, obviously I got the idea as a teenager that jazz is improvising. In other words, you've got to make it up on the spot. Mm And you better be ready because somebody's going to be vamping, let's say, behind you, Mm -hmm. playing a chord sequence, and the rhythm's not going to stop. It's going to keep moving forward, and you have to play in it. And you have to play the right notes as those chords pass, and you have to be ready to make it up. You've got to make up lines. It's like singing. You know, you got to get ready, you know, to jump into the void here because... This is what's going to happen, and it takes courage, and it takes learning and a lot of studying, and it takes the actual experience of doing that, you know, against a drummer and a bass player and maybe somebody playing, you know, keyboard harmonies or whatever. So it's a process, and uh, you learn it various ways. But, you know, I got very used to the idea of uh, improvising and making things up on the spot, and I think that this was very helpful for me in terms of let's say, being out on the streets of New York with a mm-hmm. camera and, and having to kind of jump into a moment that I was waking up, not the ear, but like the visual sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, there's an action, there's something here that's, that's striking visually, whether it was graphic or some emotional moment on the street or whatever, or the way the light was falling on a building, you know, you're starting to wake up this whole visual sense. So um, I wasn't afraid of that. I was very ready to you know, press the button and get a shot and hope that I saw something. But, of course, slightly different process of photography because, of course, I was shooting film and I'd have to wait to see what I got. But I would imagine later that I probably got some great shots or I hoped I did. And then, of course, ultimately looking at the contact sheets and seeing where things really were good or what I might have done better or whether technically it was overexposed, underexposed, or it was right on. And just like the guitar, I was learning these things as I went along, you know, and learning things like the gray scale. And and it's, it's parallel to music in the sense that after a while, you don't have to think about it so much. You just know. You have it sort of by instinct. Uh, and you can tell. Like, I might be, let's say, in a group situation, musically, you know, okay, it comes to your turn to solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm listening to the drummer. You don't have to come in right away. You can wait. You could come in like miles and just play one note. I just hang there. Mm-hmm. I'm wait, waiting for the next four bars later. You come in with a phrase or whatever. So all this kind of thing uh, is, I think, very valuable information and gives you the ability to be free, take chances, be spontaneous, and all those things, being free, being spontaneous, but with some education at the back of your right. head somewhere because right. you've learned it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, so I just want to shift gears really quickly, if you don't mind, to mm. capturing a moment. One of my favorite images, mm. I mean, there are so many incredible ones in the book, but you took a shot in 2014 in, in China of a woman, I'm assuming after a show, raising her hands up to the light. Um, oh, yeah. Can you recall that one? I mean, just I can. what you ju- were just talking about in, in terms of waiting for the beat to jump in and, and capture yeah. a moment. Yeah. That is a perfect, to me, yeah. example of that. Do you want to tell Yeah, me? I love that shot. I love that photo. Um, yeah, I know. And I, but it's, again, it's, it is one of those occasions where you see it and you go, oh, my God, 
uh, you know, let's say, but you're prepared because, you know, I, I'll tell you more about it, but I was I was shooting. I had the camera in my hand, I had the Leica, and I had it set right. And I saw that moment, I went, bam. Mm. I, I, got, I, I could see it happening. Um, I'll tell you what it was. Uh, I was in Beijing, mm-hmm. and I was doing a photograph show with a guy, a promoter, you know, exhibitor, whatever, mm-hmm. guy with a gallery. But he was also a promoter of a show called... Uh, where Fuesa Bruta. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's a show of. Uh, it was a show from Argentina, actually. All these young kids in a kind of round auditorium where they just do this outrageous, uh, completely outrageous show. They come on first with drumming, then they somehow they had a setup where they could walk around the ceiling and uh, do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, it was almost like a circus show. It was a very wild show. It was quite thrilling. I think they did it for three years in Beijing. And somewhere in the middle of all that, there was that, that, that crowd shot with that girl. And I think there was probably something going on above their heads. And that's when she, those girls were out there in the audience doing that. Oh, I just love the composition, but, just because that woman yeah. has her hands outstretched to the light, and then there's a yeah. woman behind her just... I mean, so they are performing, so that's a performance. They're performing, oh, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it was part of an amazing show. Yeah. Well, And oddly, it's in China, you know, yeah. Beijing of all places, yeah. Yeah. But not actually Chinese, it was from Argentina. Oh, well, you're so fortunate to have seen all of this, but oh, oh. by contrast, I mean, that... that that is a great example of the light capturing the moment. Oh. You also have a an image I'm I'm assuming of Sting in Montserrat in 1982 where he is just in full, you know, dark shadow, which I love. You just sort of get his profile. Um do you want to tell oh. the story behind that image or any other images? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, of course that was in the middle of the police period and you know, I was shooting all the time, and uh, I'd shot a lot of in Montserrat, you know, yeah. again. We were sitting around trying to make records, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, you know, so it was a lot of photographs, a lot of sort of downtime. But it's interesting that you picked up on that and said, you know, you referred to the uh, Bergman film like as the, uh, you know, the shadow of the death yeah. Because obviously I saw that film, but I just think that's a very good example that you've chosen of where earlier in life this kind of imagery was planted. Yeah. You see, it's like, in a sense, I took that photograph, you know, 15 years earlier in my yeah. head. You yeah. know, like I already made that photograph in my head. I saw it and it went in, you know, on, in the Bergman film and it stayed with me. And then a moment like that happens very quickly in real life, many years later, and you go, bam. Well, let's see. I it. saw it because it was already, I, I, I think that's really an interesting hookup. Yeah, so just to, just to frame a reference, I I read in your essay that you you know Ingmar Bergman's Seventh Seal, which you know the figure of death is sort of like this for people yeah. who don't know, you know, just yeah. this this very yeah. foreboding and very surreal yeah. figure, and the yeah. way that it's photographed by you know the master Ingmar Bergman. Um, when I was looking through your images, I just latched onto that image of Sting yeah. because you know it's Sting and you don't see his face, but it, this is a you know a very Jungian, you know, like you were saying, just like this very, you got these ideas from this film and then you were just living your life and capturing this very magical moment 
while you guys were recording music. I just love that photo. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, apart from those sort of internal things, I think it's a strong photograph. I mean, Absolutely. You know, it's a silhouette figure. It's very graphic. You know, it's a strong, it makes for a strong image, you know. So, of course, those considerations come and play. And, of course, all these things are done at 1 25th of a second. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> got to be ready. <laughs> Well, there are other references that you kind of make in the essay that you have written or, or, or Gila has written. Uh, you know, Mary Ellen Mark is another sort of influence on you. And, and there are images in the book that really remind me of her mm, interesting. photos of animals, right? So there's a dog from that same year, 1982, that you've taken in Montserrat yeah. that really reminds me of a Mary Ellen Mark, you know? So, really? Well, no, I wouldn't say Mary Ellen Mark was much of an influence on me. I mean, I do, of course, know her photography, and I know her. She's actually been to my house. Right. I met her many times uh, in my New York life. Great person and, you know, a great photographer. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, I've photographed animals here and there. I mean, that dog shot is one of the, you know, and the man-horse shot is one of the famous ones. I mean, over the years, I don't go out of my way to photograph animals, particularly. But maybe I should. Well, yeah. do you want to tell the story <laughs> behind the the cover photograph? You just referenced the the swimming horse for the cover of a certain strange. Well, yeah, that one is, yeah. is uh, received a lot of uh, accolades. It's a great shot. It's a very surreal shot, and I mean, I've had various things on. But the way it actually happened was, I think we were recording. I can't remember which one. Uh, maybe it was Ghost of the Machine. One of the two albums we did in Montserrat in mm-hmm. the Caribbean, and it was like, I think, a day off or something, and someone invited us to the other side of the island for a, a barbecue on the mm-hmm. beach because right. we were the band in the studio at the time. But the only way you could get there was to go around the island in a boat because it wasn't possible to, you know, there were mountains and things in the way, to, so you couldn't walk around to it. So we went around in a boat, and as we arrived uh, on the the beach at the other side, uh, a native Montserrat man, I suppose, was <laughs> taking his horse into the ocean. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, that's incredible. You know, and I had my, at the time it was a Nikon, jumped out of the water real fast, holding that Nikon over the head and got up next to the uh, man and the horse and, and got off probably about six shots before it got wow. to kind yeah. of complicated. I was, you know, like up to my chin in water oh. and sort of holding the camera up trying to get this shot and the horse was looking freaked out. <laughs> but of course it made for a very powerful uh, photograph. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I've sort of said this, I don't know how much truth there is to it, but, um, you know, sometimes I said, well, I think it's, you know, a symbol of, uh, you know, where the band was at. We were sort of starting to pull apart at that time. <laughs> right. to be able to go in the opposite direction you know with the man and the horse heading in different directions there. but you can read into that whatever you will it's still a powerful image yeah, I love it I also love the mm. uh, the toilet paper roll <laughs> no, what I'm yeah. assuming is a hotel <laughs> corridor yeah, yeah yeah well yeah the toilet paper roll the help toilet roll um, yeah. in, that was in Mexico City where we went to play and was you know we couldn't leave the hotel we were you know surrounded by screaming mobs <laughs> the whole time right um you know so of course it's humorous but um i also had a strong habit of of making up sort of surrealist photographs uh while we were on tour you know like at night after the show i'd sit around and try and think of you know something weird to shoot whether i made it up or, you know, went in search of it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously the toilet roll is 
with help on it is one of one of those images that I made up. <laughs> <laughs> Out of boredom and unable to leave the Well, it's something to do, you know. I mean, because, you know, you get back to the hotel at 1 o'clock in the morning and you're still raging yeah. you know, after this big, big night. I mean, going to, you know, do photography or something at that time of night, it's calming, let's right. say. Right, and why Could we all calm down for a couple of hours and, you know, yeah. And because I was interested in doing it anyway, you know, I was having it was great fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to shift gears and talk about cameras and sort of the different scents that you get for different cameras? Yeah. Do you treat them like guitars where it's, you know, this make model is good for this or whatever? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, as I got interested in photography, as we, you know, turned up a lot in New York and we were surrounded by many photographers, you know, we were a hot band. Everybody wanted to take mm-hmm. pictures of us and I think that's what, you know, like was the sort of superficial thing. Like I started to look at these people, all these incredible cameras and their gear and their physicality and their attitude as we try to get pictures. And I think it sort of woke it up. And I thought, it's, you know, it's just a sort of dumb conceit. Oh, okay, I'm going to be a photographer as well. I'm going to get a camera. I'm going to do this. And one of the photographers took me out to, I think it was B&H or Maybe it was B&H then, if they existed then. And, you know, I bought a Nikon and a 24-millimeter mm-hmm. lens, which was the wrong lens to yeah. get, of course. So I started into it, and I must have looked at books, instruction books or whatever, and started to take it. But, you know, the camera, I think it was a Nikon FE that I started with. It's pretty simple to use. You know, you overexpose it, the needle goes up above the middle line, and underexpose it, it goes underneath mm-hmm. it. So you figure out if you want to get correctly exposed photograph, you get the the arrow in the middle. Yeah. But that should be according to something that registers at about 18% on the grayscale, so these little technical things. But I got that pretty quickly, and, you know, I had a you know, pretty good success rate with the way I shot. No, focus is never a problem, but uh, exposure is, is, is the thing that you have to get right. So I started out like that, and a little while later I realized I needed a 50-millimeter lens, not a 24-millimeter, because it's... Everything is too wide and too distorted, and I, I didn't like the way it looked. Once I got the 50 millimeter, everything started to get much better for me. And so I went on with with the Nikon um, FE for, for a while. And, of course, I made all the mistakes that people do at the beginning. I got too many lenses and too much gear. I mm-hmm. carry around a heavy camera bag. But I, that was okay. You know, I, I used the FE all the time. And... Uh, you know, studied a lot of photography and, you know, sort of let it sort of come into my head. Uh, you know, obviously people like Cartier-Bresson would mm. have been influential. And as I went on, I got, oh, I got to see The Americans by Robert Frank. And that was, yeah. of course, a very inspiring right. book. And as we all know, a very much of a breakthrough historical book. It's basically the book that changed changed photography into the modern era. Very important book and very inspiring, especially as I was traveling around yeah. America, just as Robert Frank did. Right. And then, I mean, for me, really, the next big breakthrough, was, of course, was, you know, when I got to meet Ralph Gibson, mm. one of the absolutely preeminent photographers in the world, even at that time, uh, in, like, I think, 1982, end of, no, was it early 83, yeah. And that was in New York, right? Yeah, I was in New York, and I was living in New York at the time, and... Uh, 
you know, eventually Ralph said, you know, why don't you try Leica? And uh, I did get a Leica. And, uh, you know, immediately it felt much better for me. You know, the, the, just the size, the way the camera was made, the way it sat in my hand. Of course, the incredible lenses. Uh, I took to it straight away. I, ne- I never went back to a SLR camera. Mm-hmm. So know. you've been, uh, you know, practicing your your craft photography since the 80s when you started uh, while you were in the police. And uh, you've done about 50 photo exhibitions today. Do you want to, 50 plus, do you want to talk about uh, what you might have coming up, what you're working on now? Well, yeah, next year is going to be, I think, a very good year for me with photography. I I just sort of sense it in my bones. Um, The first show I have is going to be in Montpellier, uh, in the sort of southwest of France, uh-huh. and it's a beautiful place called the Pavillon Populaire, and uh, so we have a very big sort of retrospective exhibition there. And so there's, I think, like 184 fine art photographs, and then around the corridors of the building, this is going to be really interesting. We're doing something special where I am going to show the photography that I did in the police mm-hmm. as like a sort of where it came from kind of an idea. And all the photographs will be uh, four by six. They're almost like postcards, ah. and I think it really really suits the material. And it's mostly in the U.S. It's, uh, so you're going to get this picture of this sort of raw, different USA in the early 80s, uh, which is kind of interesting because it doesn't really look like that anymore. No. So it's, it's kind of a, a fun thing to do. And so that's going to be out for three months. I'm also going to do um, a performance uh, because one of the other things sort of going along with this uh, that I've been doing this year is uh, a solo performance where I project various carefully chosen uh-huh. sequences of photography, still photography, onto a big screen. Mm-hmm. And I play solo various different kinds of music to the different sequences. So I'll be doing that in uh, Montpellier as well. And, and that exhibition screen. opens on the 5th of February. Okay, So that's the next big thing, and then that show will go to another museum in Holland, uh, in Maastricht, which is mm-hmm. a beautiful town in the south of Holland, mm-hmm. the Bonnefanten Museum. I'm going to do the same thing there. I'll do a performance, mm-hmm. and now I've been told that it's probably going to go to Moscow. Wow, yeah. To another huge play, photography place, and then we're looking at Sweden. So I'm actually hoping that this will stay on the route in Europe for a while. The show is called A Certain Strangeness. It's coming out, obviously, on the University of Texas Press and Hazan in Europe. I've got another photography show in Miami on the 27th of February, a different show called The Bones of Chuangzhou. Oh. All photographs shot in China. That happens at the Miami Photo Festival on the 27th oh, cool. of February. Okay, yeah. And then it's, that will probably go to Rio de Janeiro a bit later in the year when I go down there to do a tour. Well, I'm I'm spoiled for choice, which flight I'm going to (laughs) book to see this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's enough. (laughs) I've got enough going, apart from living in L.A. and trying to make another record. Yeah, yeah, Trying to find the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so 2019 will be the the year of your photography. I think it's going to be a good one, yeah. Yeah. That's my feeling. Despite everything, I think uh, it should be a really good year for all that, you know. It's very satisfying, you know, and all the people are great, really enjoying the the company. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, there are so me. many good stories, I know, that are behind all of these images, but, I mean, 
people yeah. need to pick up the book and, you know, check it out. So I have a whole book ready to go called The Bones of Chuang Tzu. That's the, the next one I want to... I love that title. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Well, it's a, it's a book ready to go and uh, waiting to see what, what will happen with it. But, um, well, yeah. fantastic. Maybe I'll have to speak to the University of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I love this stuff. So, yeah, I'm on yeah, board. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the book Andy Summers' A Certain Strangeness with Gil Mora and our other titles, please visit us at www.utexaspress.com. 